I want to start with a story. Last night, well, yesterday afternoon, we had a, a staff Christmas party. And it was one of those things where Brian, our executive pastor, set it up. And he, he said that we had one rule. Uh, we had to go to either CVS or Walgreens. And he said he did it because uh, there are people like me who are really bad at giving gifts. Like, I have a lot of talents, I think, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but gift giving is not one of them, right? And so I think he's similar to me. So he wanted us to either go to CVS or, or Walgreens to get these gifts. The problem is that even after that, the disparity in the gifts were still, like, great. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, my gift, like, everyone had, like, this nice wrapping paper and, like, a bow and tape and whatever. Mine literally came in the original Walgreens bag. I bought it and I kind of tied it up, you know what I'm saying? Probably because I don't know how to wrap stuff, but also because I may have... Uh, forgotten about it until right before. But anyways, the point is that I'm not the most gifted gift giver, and we get there, and we're opening gifts, and I give mine. So actually, my sticker Santa was Tim, which was amazing, because Tim is like the most chill, easiest person. I got him socks with like polka dots on, you know what I'm saying? Come like he runs around, he needs to be comfortable, whatever. That's why I got Tim, right? And so there's this great disparity in gifts, but my favorite gift was one that actually the campus pastor, those of you who know Abe, uh, he got uh, he was sitting next to me, and, and someone had given him a gift, and he was opening it up, opening it up. And before he did, the person told me, said, listen, I know when you open it, it's going to seem random, but I promise I thought about it. Pro tip, if you have to say that before someone opens your gift, it's probably a bad sign, you know what I'm saying? And so that's what he says, and as Abe is opening this gift, I'm watching his face, and he just like slowly pulls up laundry detergent, and dryer sheets. That's what someone I bought for him. And he had this very confusing look on his face. I'm like, it makes perfect sense to me. This person's saying that you smell and you need to wash your clothes more, you know what I'm saying? And the person was like, person was like no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm, he, said, he said, see, what I'm doing, what I'm saying is that everyone needs to wash their clothes. And I don't want to say who this person is, but we were all like, Pastor James, that's like the worst gift idea ever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the thing is, as I thought about it. I actually liked what Pastor James did more and more. I liked his gift more and more. I thought about it. Because I actually, I believe him. I believe it was intentional. I believe he thought about it for a long time. And I think for him, what he was willing to do was not give a flashy gifts. There were a lot of flashy, I got a very cool, flashy-looking gift. Everyone was like, wow, that person was an amazing gift giver. But I think James was willing to give up kind of the flashiness, the accolades from getting like, a, like an amazing gift for giving a gift that he thought Abe just actually needed. You know what I'm saying? And I have to think, even with his qualifying statement, that he kind of knew we were going to tease him a little bit, right? Now I'm going to make fun of him in a sermon the next day. Like, I think he kind of knew this was going to happen. But he was willing to give that up, to give a gift that he thought was actually needed. And so a, or James did not worry primarily about looking good in his gift giving. And I want us to think about that idea for a second, because today we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be a good gift giver. I think uh, if you're like me, I mean, the holidays, is, it's like... It's like giving overload, right? Suddenly giving is like the top of our lexicon. Every commercial you watch, our culture is all about giving, giving, giving. And this is especially true in the church. 
in the church, giving becomes like pushed to the forefront of our consciousness. I mean, even our sermon series is what? About Jesus, who we call God's generous gift. And so we've been discussing throughout this Advent series how we as a church want to partner with organizations to give this week and give that week our time and energy and resources leading up to our Advent series or or Sunday service. And it's interesting, I know even as you guys, as a campus, you have a coat drive, right? And you're doing uh, toiletries for the Lawndale community. And that stuff is awesome. I know there's pockets of service and giving you guys too. And it's great, and it's cool, and it's, it's pretty woke. It's kind of dangerous, too. To be honest, the push that our, even our church does for you to give and give and give is kind of dangerous. Because believe it or not, I actually think that there's a type of giving that doesn't actually benefit those who receive. And I actually think there's a type of giving that doesn't actually benefit the giver themselves. That you can give in a way that hurts both your recipients, but also give in a way that hurts your own soul. I think it's possible that not every gift we give is truly beneficial, and even more importantly, not every giver is truly doing the work of the Lord. I would argue that our passage today suggests that if we are not careful, that we as givers can actually be harmful to the mission of Christ. Did you ever think that? That in your giving you can be harmful to the mission of Christ? And so you guys might think I'm being, you know, a little dramatic, which I tend to be a little bit, but I'm not quite as dramatic as John, uh, the guy who wrote the passage we read for today. Uh, See, uh, John himself is the one that says that there's a type of giver and giving that leads to hatred and death, as well as a type of giving that leads to love and life. These are his words, not mine. And what he wants us to do is see the difference between these two things. In this Christmas, as we're gearing up to to be good citizens of our communities, good followers of Christ, John is saying you have to understand there's a difference that on the outside it could look exactly the same, but in your heart, Something could be happening that in reality, you're not even helping anyone or your own soul. You're actually hurting your soul because of how you give. And so the question becomes, then what is it that's happening in our hearts that can cause our gifts to not lead to life, but death? And I want to begin uh, to answer this question with a hypothetical uh, scenario. I want you guys to imagine this scenario, and I imagine, I'll admit, it might take a lot of, you know, imaginative powers. It might be hard for you to think about. I want you to do your best. Uh, I want you to imagine that I was dating someone, right? Some of you are like, that's impossible. Imagine I was dating somebody, I know. And imagine, you know, it was, I don't know, her birthday, so I had to get her a gift, right? And gift A, my option, gift A 
was, it would be this, let's say a necklace that she had been hinting at all year long, right? In the perfect world, I picked up those hints. And she'd been hinting at it, you know what I'm saying? Not too expensive, but I know she really likes it. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to pick up this gift. That's gift A for her, right? But let's say gift B is season tickets to the Chicago Bears football game. All year long. And they come with a signed jersey from Walter Payton's son, I guess. It's kind of awkward. Um, Walter Payton or, 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 or Khalil Mack. You know what I'm saying? And that's the gift B I can offer her. What does your gut tell you is a gift that she might want more? B, B, right? Yeah. No, not don't listen to Joe. Elder Joe. Probably A. I mean, granted, she might be a big sports fan. But even still, you guys are like, but we know you love the Bears. And so ultimately, is that really a gift for her or is that a gift for yourself? And I think most of us would say, right, it's not hard uh, to believe that giving a gift, the type of gift that you hope ultimately gives back to you, is actually not the most loving gift you can give. Giving a gift with expecting almost some sort of return on your investment is not probably the gift that leads to life. There's something wrong about that, isn't there? There's something inherently, you know, out of pocket or off. But would you agree that that's actually the kind of giving we most often do? And maybe it's not always that explicit, right? But is it possible that we actually give with the intention that we would get something back. We give with a heart that hopes it will also receive. And so what I think is happening in the passage is that John is saying, if you are called to be disciples of Christ, especially in the holiday season, You have to give in a way where you will not primarily expect a return on your investment. You have to give in a way that will not lead to death. Got a little little bit warmer in here, I think. I don't know if it's just me. But I think that's what the passage is saying. It's giving an example of our wayward hearts. We often want to serve ourselves. So let's look at the example together. Let's get to the passage. We're in 1 John Chapter 3, verse 11. And here he starts in verse 11. He says, this message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another unlike Cain. And what happens is Cain becomes an example. Cain's offering becomes an example of the type of giving we shouldn't do. The one that's filled with hate and death. Uh, For the sake of time, he introduces the story of Cain, and it's from Genesis 4, where there's these two brothers, Cain and his brother Abel. And it says that Cain and Abel both give offerings to the Lord, gifts to the Lord. And Cain gives uh, uh, God uh, fruits, excuse me, and vegetables and produce. And Abel gives animals and the best of, of, his, of his flock to God. And the Bible says that God has regard for Abel and his offering, but no regard for Cain and his offering. So God likes, accepts Abel and his offering, his gift, but not Cain and his gift. 
And while it could be easy for me to especially argue that this is proof that God likes meat more than vegetables and fruit, you know what I'm saying? The truth is the Bible doesn't actually explicitly tell us why God picks one offering over another. And it kind of reiterates my point I kind of made before where on the surface, the giving actually looks kind of the same. They're both willing to offer these gifts to God. They're kind of doing the same thing. On the outside, they look righteous and good. But God looks on the inside and there's something about what's happening in their hearts, in the heart of Cain that leads God to not have regard for his gift. I mean, it's fascinating because it says that, that Cain is able to discern that God rejects his gift. How? It doesn't say that God says anything in Genesis 4. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he has a look on his face. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever served somebody or given somebody or had an act of a love or compassion towards somebody and felt like they didn't have regard for your gift? And they didn't really appreciate the service you did for them? They didn't say thank you enough times? I could literally remember times I... I I feel like I blessed somebody, I helped somebody, I went out of my way uh, to benefit somebody and felt like they didn't really show me the appreciation I thought I deserved. It's crazy. Like, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yet, but I can remember, like, key moments. I have them ingrained in my memory, moments of frustration and what feels like righteous anger over people who I feel like I've blessed and they haven't shown their appreciation. If you're like me, you could probably relate to Cain's feeling of frustration. The Bible says that his face became despondent when he realized that God did not appreciate his gift. And it's interesting because then God goes to Cain and he asks him, why is your face despondent? That's what God asked Cain. I love that question. And that's the question I want to ask us. If you're like me and there's times where you've done something for someone and you've been maybe frustrated because they haven't said thank you or shown you appreciation, why do we get frustrated by that? Why does our face become despondent? Why does that bother us so much? And I wonder if it's because part of us is frustrated that our expectation in giving was not met. That what we desired, what we were looking for when we gave was not actually uh, that this person would simply be blessed, but that they would actually validate us in our giving. That they would look at us and they would say, thank you. I appreciate, that's, that's great. What a wonderful gift. They would say, I want that. Why? So we would feel wanted. They would say, I love that. Why? So we will feel loved. I needed that. So we will feel needed. And so we wait for these people to pour their praise and their affirmation on us. Because deep down, our deepest question is always, am I actually good enough, righteous, acceptable? I told a story before when I moved to a new school in sixth grade. I didn't have any uh, friends. I was kind of sitting in the back, and there was these two kids who were kind of nice to me, and so I wanted to be friends with them. And what happened uh, was that I realized quickly that they loved ACDC. I didn't know what ACDC was when I was a kid. Okay, I thought maybe it was like a 
disease or ability, like something they were struggling with, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, I'll pray for you. I realized later it's a band, right? And so because I wanted to fit into this group, I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start listening to some ACDC because I want to act like I love them too. And so I kind of, you know, for a little bit, like, pretended I liked him, but then I really sat down. I went on, um, you know, LimeWire. Y'all know LimeWire? I went on LimeWire, got the ACDC album, and I listened to the whole thing one day, and I was like, this is horrible. It's hor- horrendous, right? But I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go and tell him I love ACDC. So the next day we went, and I was like, oh, I love this song. I don't even know, Alex, you know any song? Like, ACDC, uh, this Thunderstruck or something, you know, I like, love this song or whatever. And finally, after like a week, we were listening to ACDC together, and I looked myself in the mirror and said, I can't do it anymore. Like, I would rather have no friends than listen to this music, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But I laugh now, but I think it's amazing how far I would go to feel accepted by other people. Amazing how it forced myself to say uh, I was a certain way to change what I was like, so I felt valued by other people. And we are constantly asking ourselves this question always, are we acceptable? Are we good enough? Are we valued? And we will go to great lengths to prove to others and ultimately ourselves that we are. And one of the best ways to earn validation, especially in the holiday season, is to hop and join into the culture of giving. And it's funny, I mean, if you've been to Beloved long enough, we've said the same thing like maybe a million times, how our core issue is always uh, not believing we're loved, not believing that we are deserving of love. But how often do we actually tie it and relate it to our giving? How often do we think to ourselves that this thing that's in our heart can even poison the things that look so righteous on the outside? Maybe it begins to make sense why Paul would say even our best acts are like filthy rags to God. And so the need to feel validated is truly an undying thirst. And that's what makes it so dangerous. And we think we could quench it by our actions or our service. But human love is so fickle. It's so fake. No matter how much we perform, we find ourselves in the pit of insecurity once again. When I was in college, I read a book for anthropology. It was called uh, When Helping Hurts. And some of you might be familiar with it. It was really interesting. The assertion was that there's so many um, well-established, well-resourced churches in the West that give to churches in the East who are developing or struggling or people groups who are poor. They said that a lot of times they find that their helping actually hurts those groups. There's actually no change or things get worse. Their method of helping actually reinforces the system that brought these people to poverty to begin with. And so oftentimes the reason is because those kind of throw money at things, they'll have shallow interactions, and they'll come with the same power dynamic that doesn't empower those people. Kind of makes sense? And what's interesting is that I don't have a lot of experience, but my little experience of going overseas or talking to these people, um, I found that a lot of them actually have an awareness of this. A lot of developing countries know that simply having money thrown at them or short-term mission groups like crash the rhythm of their lives isn't helpful. But I think a lot, and this is conjecture, but I think a lot of them are actually a little bit afraid to tell the, the Western 
uh, big churches that. I think some of them actually are afraid if they were honest and said that, it would seem like they don't appreciate all the support they have and that this group would actually stop giving. Like they have to maintain and massage the fragile ego of the Western church. Otherwise, they will get offended and stop. And I think about that and I'm like, that's like me. There are people in my life, in my neighborhood, I have no problem giving money to, throwing money at. Oh, there's people I, I'll, I'll smile at or interact with and kind of be nice. People I know are hurting. People I know who need. And I'll, and I'll be Christian to them. I'll be kind. I'll, I'll maybe offer them a plate. I'll do things on my way home. And I know if I really wanted to take the time, I would know in my heart, is that really giving in a way that costs me or is it kind of a quick ego boost for me to be like, look, God, I'm a good Christian. And I wonder how many of the Western churches who would be so hesitant to take down their bulletins and, and their flyers of, oh, this many wells we built on this many mission trips we sent, this much money, how many of them would be so hesitant and scared to admit that their helping doesn't actually help, but it's for them? How many of us would be so scared to admit that there are people even outside these doors who, if we're honest, are kind of vessels of our ego boost? And once they stop making us feel good about our Christian duty or our Christian selves, they become nuance, nu nuisance to us. We kind of complain about them sometimes. I'm kind of like, why are they on this corner? Why do they live over here? And for me, I begin to understand how Cain also could even be so jealous of the affirmation his brother got from God that he would even kill him. That the thirst for Cain to be secure or to be affirmed or, 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 or accepted was so great, it literally led to death. I begin to see what John says when he says this is hate and death when you have a heart of giving so that you also receive. You guys still like me? Should I keep going? We're okay? Okay. This will never work if we constantly look to the world to affirm us, if we look to this person or that person that we give to say, oh, David, you're so great. You're a wonderful Christian. It won't work. John says it in verse 13. He says, man, you shouldn't be surprised if the world hates you. If you look like Christ, the world might hate you. And he says that because like, I want you to be prepared that your identity cannot be in the world. Fickle. Fickle and fake. And so this brings us to the fact that we need um, something to help illuminate the cloud of uncertainty, the darkness in our hearts regarding uh, who we are and if we're truly valuable. We need a light. And so we go from Cain's offering to Jesus' gift, the gift of Jesus. What he offered us that was so different from Cain, what he offered God, I should say, that was so different from Cain. 
We see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, now he writes, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So John's beginning to pivot from the type of giving that we see in Cain that leads to literal hatred and death to a type of giving that leads to life and love. He says, first and foremost, that, that Jesus is an example of this type of giving. Last week, uh, James talked about how Jesus came down, right, like a light, how he became a gift to us. And I want to talk a little bit about why he came. But first, I want to say what he did when he came. You see, John says it clearly. Jesus came and he laid down his life for the world. That's the kind of gift that he offered God. It was different than Cain. It was his entire life. And so he says the greatest act of service that someone can do is laying down all of their life for someone. Gaining nothing in return. Expecting no affirmation or confirmation or acceptance from the people they are giving to. I think we forget, I forget that Jesus did not have to suffer. I love that verse where he says, do you not know if I wanted to? I can call down angels and they will free me from these people who are arresting me and trying to kill me. He said, I have the authority to do that. But he chose still to give and freely give to me and you, people who have done nothing but show him that we don't appreciate his gift. And he knew that. When he died, he knew what we would be like. We would not truly say thank you. Maybe with our words when we sing songs, but with our lives, we don't say thank you. We don't appreciate that. But God knew that. Christ knew that. And still he gave. You see how that's different from Cain, who could not live without that affirmation. He was able to do this because he freely, uh, or he was able to ultimately quench the thirst of affirmation that we have. I love the story of, of John 4 where he goes to a woman at the well who is thirsty. And a lot of times when I hear this woman described by people, they make it clear that she's promiscuous. She had a lot of husbands. I think it was six, and the one she was with now is a seventh one. But I have, I don't know, I like feel this woman. Because I know what it's like to bounce from person to person to person looking to be loved. And to again be rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. And I think Christ knew what it was like. And to me, this, there's this analogy happening where he's talking about a thirst. And she's thirsting for something. And he wants to give it her something that would satisfy forever her thirst. And on one hand, they're talking about water. But I think on another hand, they're talking about that very question that she's probably been asking herself from husband to husband to husband. Am I valuable? I think Christ in this moment is trying to say to her, I want to give you an identity and an affirmation in your value that will last for the rest of your life. I'm an example, maybe it's a poor example, but to lighten the mood a little bit. Um, recently, I was leading a small group, and I had a, a girl come, and she uh, brought, it wasn't LaCroix, 
but it was basically the same thing. It was called a spindrift, I think. Y'all know the spindrift? And so they sit down there, and they're all drinking on the table, drinking the spindrift, right? And uh, they offered me some. I said, I don't really want it. I go, no, it's really good. So I'm a good, humble man. And so I, I tried the spindrift, and it was disgusting, obviously, right? And like, and like, you know, it's okay, like, just try this flavor or that flavor. And they're trying to give me all these different flavors. I said, you know, not today, Satan, okay, because I don't, you guys can have your dandruff or whatever. I'm going to drink this water. So finally, my small group leader, she got kind of mad at me, my co-leader. She's like, you're so dramatic, David. Why are you always hating on LaCroix? What's wrong with it? And so I was like, you know, I felt attacked. And so I had to defend myself. And I was like, I don't really know. Um, but more and more I thought about it, I was like, you know what it actually is for me, I think? I don't think that those drinks are so bad by themselves, but I had better tasting drinks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've had water. <laughs> I've had drinks that don't taste like someone ate a fruit salad and burped in a water bottle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've had good drinks before. And so in a weird way, actually, when I drink that stuff, it leaves me thirstier than I was. I'm like, I actually crave more, Right? This is a very, very poor analogy. But to me, we, we kind of do that, right? That's, that's what happens to us. Apart from Christ, we, third, we drink and drink these things. that leave us actually craving more. And Christ is saying to this woman, and Christ is saying to us, I want to offer you something that's really, truly satisfying. Because when you're in that place, then you can truly give in a way that even if it costs you your life, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And so Christ uh, was able to die for us, to be beaten for us, to suffocate for us. How and why? Because his identity was not in us. His value did not come from other people. It came from the one who opened the skies and said, this is my beloved son forever. And with him I am well pleased. And so why did Jesus come? What is the gift I'm talking about? He wanted to offer us the same thing he offered the woman at the well. Something to quench the thing we've always thirsted for. He wanted to come as a light to illuminate how the heavenly father feels about you. Did you know the Bible says that God sings over you? Did you know that? And the Bible describes you like, it says, just like a mother could never forget their newborn child who's nursing on her lap. That's how God can never forget you. Will never forget you. No matter what kind of giving you give, that's what the Bible speaks over you. That's what Christ came to remind you of and to purchase for you. Jesus knew this, that even if the world never gave him gratitude, God always would. And so finally, really quickly, uh, the question is, what is our response to this? In light of all this, what should we do? And so finally, in John chapter 1, sorry, first John chapter 3, Starting in verse 17, it says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Simply put, John is saying, be like 
Jesus. Be like Jesus. Give with hearts full of selflessness and love, not riddled with expectations and hate. But I know you guys, you guys are probably like me. And if you're like me, you hear this sermon and you're kind of riled up and you want to now figure out how do I make my, my, my motives pure? How do I purify my heart? How do I give in a truly self-sacrificing way? And I'm telling you, if you strive to do that, you're going to fail. Because I had a professor who used to always say this. He said, people, Christians always worry too much about what their um, motives are. And they worry so much that they never actually act. Because they wait for their motives to change before their actions do. And what he said is actually it's better to right now just go out and do your best to give selflessly. Even if your heart isn't quite there. Because you know what's going to happen? It's going to suck. It's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. And you're going to go beyond using people as vessels of affirmation. You're going to actually be like, what does this person truly need? It might not be flesh. It might be laundry detergent. I might get ridiculed for this. I might look bad because of this. And I promise you, it will bring you to your knees. It will bring you to the end of yourself. It will bring you feeling insecure because you won't get validation from anybody. And in that place is where you will see that God is your identity and God is your security and God has accepted you and God has called you his son and daughter. And so you give and you're brought to your knees. The truth is that Jesus came for Cain's of the world. He came for people like us. He came that we would know that we are forever loved by God no matter what kind of gifts we bring. So with this reality, I say in love and truth, let's go love our fellow Cain's. Let's go love our brothers and sisters in need. And even if it costs us our lives, let's do it anyways. Gifts of life and love. Let's pray together.